0: Tonight we are going to uh, do sort of part two of the message we started last week on missing the kingdom and how do people miss the kingdom of God. And what I'd like to do again tonight is just begin reading at Luke 17 verse 20 down through verse 37, quickly review what we went over last week and then get into uh, where we ended last week. So the Bible says, now at one point, the Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God was coming. So he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for indeed the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Then people will say to you, look, there he is, or look, here he is. Do not go out or chase after them. For just like the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so too it will be in the days of the Son of Man, People were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage. Right up to the day Noah entered the ark, then the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, people were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be the same on the day the Son of Man is revealed." On that day, anyone who is on the roof with his goods in the house must not come down to take them away, and likewise, the person in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two people in one bed. One will be taken, and the other left. Then two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, and the other left. Then the disciples said to him, Where, Lord? And he replied to them, Where the dead body is, there the vultures will gather. Last week we talked about, first of all, why the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were going to miss the kingdom of God. It is because Jesus revealed to them that they weren't willing to accept the king of the kingdom. He reminded them that you cannot have a kingdom without a king and I am the king of the kingdom of God and the king is standing he was saying to them right in front of you but you have missed it you have missed all the signs that God has done through me to reveal to you that I am the true Messiah of God I have raised the dead I have healed the sick I have cast out demons I have done all these things and yet you keep wanting more signs and you keep looking for these cataclysmic signs to come in the heavens and yet the king stands in front of you and you've missed it. So people can miss the kingdom of God simply because they're not willing to accept the one who is the king of the kingdom. You and I cannot be part of the kingdom of God unless we're willing to accept uh, and willingly surrender to the king of the kingdom And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, the religious leaders of Israel missed the kingdom of God because they had misunderstood and misinterpreted the Old Testament scriptures. In their minds and in their understanding, when the Messiah would come, he would come one time and he would set up his kingdom. And so the reason why they were going to miss this is because even Jesus said in verse 25... The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected. They never differentiated from the Old Testament Scriptures that the Messiah would come two times. That He would come the first time in humility, giving up His life for us, and then He would be exalted, and then He would come the second time to set up His kingdom. Because they did not understand that there would be two separate comings, they obviously were going to miss the kingdom as well. And so it's a reminder to us of how important it is that we accurately understand and interpret the Scriptures. These were the religious leaders of Israel. These fellows knew the Old Testament better than anyone, and yet even in their head knowledge of the Old Testament... They did not have a proper understanding of the Old Testament and they were going to miss their Messiah, you see. And then Jesus turned to the disciples and he said, and here's why many of you, in a sense, are going to miss the kingdom of God. Because you're going to so desire the kingdom to come because of how bad things are that that the delay in God bringing the kingdom in his timing is going to get you distracted and you're going to start chasing and running after all these things rather than staying focused on serving the king and doing what the king wants you to do at this moment. In a sense, they will be overcome and overwhelmed by the conditions on earth. And Jesus even, I think, specifically was saying to his own disciples, you are going to desire to see these days, the days where... The Messiah, I will totally rule over the earth and where you as my followers will be vindicated. But Jesus himself said, this will be an unrealized desire in your lifetime. You will not see it, he says to them in verse 22. Because they wouldn't. They would obviously die and not see the consummation of the kingdom of God. And we also pointed out last week something very important that you and I need to keep in mind as we read and study and interpret the Word of God, especially when it comes to the Kingdom of God, and that is that the Bible teaches that the Kingdom of God has an already not yet character to it. When Jesus arrived on the earth, in a sense, the Kingdom was there. And the Kingdom has existed ever since Jesus arrived on earth in the hearts of those who believe in Jesus. That is the realm, if you will, in which God reigns, in our hearts. And that's how the kingdom is manifested today, even up to this day. It is manifested through us who believe in Jesus, have him as our king, and are allowing him to rule and reign in our lives. But one day, the Bible says, that all that's been predicted about the kingdom of God is going to be consummated. And that's when Jesus comes back, not in humility... But he will come back to put down all rebellion, all of his enemies. He will rule with a rod of iron on this earth. And he will set up his kingdom. And he will absolutely rule. And that when he comes back too, it's a decisive time of judgment. Judgment is coming to those who have rejected the king, you see. Who want nothing to do with God ruling in their lives. And that day of judgment is approaching. But it was not going to come in the disciples' lifetime. So then Jesus moves on, and this is where we want to spend our majority of our time tonight, beginning in verse 26, to sharing with us how there is a direct correlation, if you will, between... The days of Noah and the days of Lot and the days of the Son of Man that is about to come. And we're going to see what Jesus wants us to know and why many people, the majority of people on earth, are going to miss the kingdom. So Jesus says in verse 26, "...just as it was in the days of Noah..." so too it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Again, the days of the Son of Man refer to Jesus' total rule over the world, the vindication of believers when the kingdom of God is consummated. And he again describes it that it's very similar, the, the environment, the atmosphere that exists on earth, amongst human beings, is very similar to the days of Noah. Jesus picks two periods that preceded significant judgment to illustrate his point. The days of Noah and the days of Lot. And we're going to look at those tonight. By the way, I wanted to point this out. The name Noah means rest and comfort. And it's very interesting that in the days in which Noah lives, we know that Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8, and even uh, places in the New Testament that describe Noah, like 2 Peter chapter 2 and and the book of Jude, describe the great wickedness that existed on the earth in Noah's day. And yet, in his name, uh, there was in a sense rest and comfort because... He was placing his faith, his trust in God. And it reminds us of what a contrast Noah was to the rest of the world. In fact, the prophet Isaiah tells us this about the wicked. That the wicked have no rest. The wicked have no peace. Isaiah 57 verse 20 says, "...the wicked are like a surging sea that is unable to be quiet." The waves toss up mud and sand. It's a really vivid picture of, in a sense, the internal uh, ways of the wicked. They're never able to be at peace. They're never able to be at rest. Their insides are constantly churning. God wants His people to be a distinct contrast to that. He wants us to be at rest. He wants us to be content. He wants us to be comforted, you see, by placing our faith and trust in Him so that no matter what's going on around us, what's going on in our lives, in the world, we can be at peace and not all churned up like the wicked are always churned up. And those were some of the days of Noah. But notice what Jesus goes on to say in verse 27. To me, initially, it's sort of surprising. Because Jesus here isn't describing these people, even though the Bible says that the reason why God destroyed the world back in Noah's day was because of their extreme wickedness. God even said in Genesis 6, they cannot stop thinking and doing evil. They, they just... That's all they think about. That's all they do. And and very interestingly, the Bible tells us that God says that the earth was filled with violence before he brought the flood. And yet here, as Jesus is describing these people, he's not describing them as a wicked lot with all the wicked, evil things and sin that they do. Notice, no, he describes them this way. People in Noah's day were eating, drinking, marrying, and given in marriage. And we're going to come back to what point Jesus is making by describing them in this way. But I want to go on to Lot for just a moment. But let's continue with Noah before we do, and then I'll come back to verse 27. He says, these people were doing all this right up, or even up to the day, that Noah entered the ark. Again, we know the story of Noah and the ark. The ark was God's means of salvation for Noah and his family and really for anyone that would enter. But it was the only means of salvation. Just like today, God will supply a means of salvation to escape judgment and to be delivered from judgment. But if you and I are going to escape, If we're going to be preserved and protected like Noah and his family, we've got to come God's way. You see, Jesus is the ark today. But in Noah's day, it was the ark. And they had to enter into that ark. Then the Bible says, the flood came. It's the Hebrew word, or the Greek word, excuse me, cataclysmos, where we get our Word cataclysmic from it. It speaks about uh, a deluge uh, where the the world was inundated with rain, and I believe very clearly that it was a worldwide flood. Now, very interestingly, I'm going to talk about this tonight, Nelly. A couple days ago, I had a conversation with Miguel and, and Nelly. They were sharing with me that they had someone recently talk to them about uh, their belief that, that Noah's flood was not worldwide, but it was just local. And that's actually a very predominant belief, even today. And yet, let me give you a couple reasons why that can't be true. I'll start with this. If it was just a localized flood, then God is a liar. Why do I say that? Because God said to Noah, I'm going to give you a rainbow, and that rainbow is a sign that I will never destroy the earth by a flood again. Now, if it wasn't a worldwide flood, if it was just a really bad local flood, have there not been really bad floods since Noah? Absolutely, right? There have been all kinds of terrible floods all over the world. So if it was not a worldwide flood, then God was lying. Because God said, I'll never do that again, you see. Secondly, the very existence of an ark is an argument against a local flood. Remember, the Bible teaches us that, that Noah spent with his family 120 years building this ark and preaching to people to repent and turn to God before judgment came. Well, if it was a local flood and he had 120 years, he and his family could have went really far away and missed the flood. They wouldn't have needed an ark. God could have said, look, I'm going to flood this part of the world, but I'm going to move you guys over here and you're going to have plenty of time because I'm not going to do it for 120 years. Another reason argument against a localized flood is the size of the ark. Why would you need a boat that big to take all these animals on? And let me even add this. If it was a localized flood, then why did God say put birds on the ark? Again, if it was a localized flood, birds can fly other places and get other places. They don't need to have a refuge if it was just a localized flood. No, my friends, it was a worldwide flood. In fact, I don't know how many of you even know this or not, but they have found fossils of ocean animals on top of Mount Everest. Now you tell me, what explanation do you have for how they got there unless the entire world was covered with water? All right, sorry, you got me all fired up on that one. Thank you, by the way. I love it. So, the Bible says, the flood came and destroyed them all. They experienced a miserable end. They suffered misery and loss. And yet because they were not by faith willing to get on that ark of safety and be saved by God's means, they all perished and they fell under the judgment of God. God is willing and desires to save people, but they've got to come God's way. And Noah and his family were the only ones willing to come God's way. By the way, you realize too, because of the story of Noah, that I believe is absolutely true, that every human being now on earth is a descendant from Noah. Every last person on earth is in some way traced back to Noah and his family. Because they started all over again. We're not traced back to Adam and Eve. We are traced back to Noah and his family. Well, let's look at verse 28. Likewise, Jesus says, Just as it was in the days of Lot, people were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day Lot went out from Sodom... Fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. First of all, in verse 29, notice again something. When the Bible says Lot went out, it means he escaped to safety. And in both of these stories, again, you have the the principle that God will always supply a means of salvation and deliverance. And notice also that for those who believe in God, they are always separated from the judgment. They are never included in the judgment that comes on unbelievers. Noah was not part of the judgment. He and his family was saved through the ark. And Lot and any others that would follow those angels out of Sodom that day, they would be saved and preserved as well before judgment came. God does not judge His people. Not in this way. And so you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, will never be judged in the way those who reject Jesus are judged. Our judgment already took place on the cross of Jesus Christ. He took our judgment. He took our penalty. And therefore, we don't have to. And that's one of the big, big reasons why, again, I believe very strongly that you and I as followers of Jesus Christ will never go through the seven-year tribulation. Because the seven-year tribulation is the judgment of God. And it's why I again believe that the rapture will take place before the seven-year tribulation because just like with Noah and just like with Lot, God is going to take out and remove His people before judgment falls on the earth. This is the pattern throughout the Word of God. Anyone who believed in God would be removed before judgment fell. And you have that here in these instances as well. Again, the same fate happened to those in Lot's day. Fire poured down from heaven and destroyed them all and all of them experienced a miserable end. And notice again what Jesus says. It will be the same on the day the Son of Man is revealed. There will be a direct correlation to what's happening on earth by, from people when I return as it was when the flood came and when fire rained down from heaven on Sodom. By the way, the word revealed here at the end of verse 30 is the Greek word apokalupsis, where we get again our word apocalypse. It is the word for revelation. It's the name of the last book of the Bible. Revelation, it means to uncover, to unveil, if you will. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to be. In all of His glory, when He comes back, He's not going to come as the humble servant who lays down His life like He did the first time. This time He comes as, again, the conquering King, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and He will be uncovered and and unveiled for all to see who He really is. So why does Jesus, then in verse 27 and 28, describe the people in Noah's day and Lot's day, not by their wickedness, even though that's what we all know them by. Why does he describe them as simply going through, basically, the routines of life? I mean, what Jesus describes in both instances, there's nothing wrong. It's not wrong to eat and drink, or we're in trouble if it is. Uh, It's not wrong to eat and drink and get married and be given in marriage. It's not wrong to eat and drink and buy and sell and plant and build. So what's the point? The point is this. The reason why these people, in a sense, missed the kingdom of God and fell under the judgment of God was because it was about this life. They were preoccupied with the things of this life and that was their focus. There was a total lack of concern and awareness and even preparedness for a life to come. They they weren't living any different even though God had warned them judgment was going to come. It was business as usual. It was like, It's just another day, and we're just going to keep doing what we've always done. And Jesus is saying, that's the problem with man. That man never really wakes up and changes the way they live, even though I have clearly told them and given them throughout history, example after example, that judgment is coming. And therefore, the only way to escape it is to live differently, to repent, to be prepared, to be more investing in, in the life to come and be focused on that than be focused on what's going on here. But, no. No. And can I say that it's also very important to realize that the days in which Jesus is talking about, I believe if you follow the biblical pattern of the rapture, then the seven year tribulation, and then the second coming, that the people that he's describing here, they're alive after the rapture. And they're going through the tribulation. And yet, business as usual. And you would think, although, Obviously, we're not going to be around to see it, because I think we'll be gone. But you would think that when all the Christians are just disappear off the face of the earth, that maybe, just maybe, there would be this huge revival, right? And wake-up call, and people would be like, well, maybe the Bible's right, and where did all those people go? And they would start searching and, and coming to God in droves, right? No. No. I think they'll be affected for a while. I think they'll, you know, but but what's going to happen according to Jesus is they're going to get right back into their normal pattern of living and it will be just business as usual. No real sustained difference in the way they look at life, even though all these things are taking place around them. It's as if they're living in a fog and no matter what God does to try to wake them up, they are just asleep at the wheel. I mean, again, I've, I've used this before, but I saw this very vividly even after 9-11 in our own country. I mean, 9-11 happens and man, everybody in America and there's like this, you know, everyone's galvanized and everyone's coming together and there's just a different feel and a different spirit in our country and and there's all this patriotism and and, you know, let's Let's do this and let's say, And there was even for a little while a spike in church attendance because people were like, yeah, we need to get back to God and get back to church and, and have our spiritual priorities right. But folks, that only lasted for a little while. And then the people of earth went right back to the same old pattern. It wasn't very long and it was just business as usual all over again. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That's the problem. It should never be business as usual. It should never be, I'm just going through the routine of life. And the way you and I build a hunger and a desire and a focus for the life to come is by making choices and decisions every day that point us in that direction. It's not like we just wait again for something big to come along in our life and God shakes us and then all of a sudden we make these big, you know, radical changes in our life because those things usually never last. The way we sustain our focus in the right direction is by making the right choices and decisions every day that builds that hunger for the world to come. And, and And where this world has less and less of a Attraction for us. That's what Jesus is teaching here. Which is why then in verse 31, He says, On that day anyone who is on the roof with his goods in the house must not come down to take them away and likewise the person in the field must not turn back. If one is not already prepared for that day, there will be no time to prepare there will only be time to flee from the judgment that is coming. And Jesus says, don't turn back. And then he hooks that in with verse 32. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. And by the way, the word remember doesn't just mean to be mindful of it. It means to make mention of it, to talk about it. He's saying to even us as Christians, Talk to each other about Lot's wife. Bring it up. Because it's a very important story that has a very deep meaning. Here was a woman who was on her way to escape judgment. And in a sense, she was so close to escaping. But the problem was, her heart wasn't with where God wanted her to go. Her heart wasn't in the future that God had for her. Her heart, her desire, her affection was back in Sodom. And that's why when she turned back, and the Bible says she looked longingly at where she was coming from, she was turned by God into a pillar of salt. As a testimony forever, a great illustration of what Jesus Himself taught, that where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. Lot's wife's treasure, the things that she thought were most important, were not the will of God and what God had for her out over here. It was what she was leaving back in Sodom. And so Jesus says, let's not forget that. We need to make sure that our heart and our affections and our desires are for the things of God. As Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven and not on the earth. Don't make your life about this earth and this life. Make it about the life to come. Invest in eternity every day. And when you and I make those kind of choices and decisions, then we will create a hunger and a focus and we will be less enamored and distracted by the things of the world every day. Then in verse 33, he says this, Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Jesus is simply saying, if you and I try to make life about us, we're going to suffer ruin and loss. Life is never about making it about us. But he says, if we're willing to lose our life or place our life aside, then we'll come to know what real life and real living is all about. See, Jesus is saying the key to real living is to live unselfishly. And we're gonna, that, that goes along with the message on Sunday coming up out of Philippians, so much on the spirit of Christmas that we're going to talk about Sunday morning. So we'll talk more about that. Then in verse 34, he says this, I tell you, in that night there will be two people in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. And there's two things Jesus is teaching here. First of all, physical proximity or closeness of, of family or, or earthly relationship does not equal the same destiny. See, when, when the Son of Man comes, Here's the second thing Jesus is teaching here. There's going to be division and separation. Once and for all, God is going to separate and divide those who believe in Him and those who don't. And it doesn't matter how close we are to someone. It doesn't matter what kind of of relationship we have with someone. That doesn't guarantee the same destiny in eternity. The only thing that guarantees our destiny is our relationship with Christ. And so unfortunately, when this defining moment comes, there will be some taken, there will be some left. Just like in the days of Noah. Noah and his family were taken, the rest were left. Lot and his family were taken, the rest were left. But there was division and separation that's going to come someday. Only those who believe in Jesus Christ will be taken to glory and the rest will be left to suffer judgment. It's a sobering thing to think about, but my friends, it's coming. And it's coming as real as Noah's flood. And it's coming as real as the fire that rained down from heaven on Sodom. It's coming and God is warning and God wants us as his people to wake up and not only live our lives in a different way but realize that we've got very precious limited time to be a light to those who are now living in darkness and who are headed for that judgment Because when that day comes, there are no other chances after that. That's it. And the only people that will be in heaven with us are those who've accepted Christ. All of humanity who reject Jesus Christ and do not turn to Him as their Savior we will be ever, forever separated from. Because it's their choice. So the disciples ask, Lord, where is this judgment going to take place? For them, that was something that they were curious about. Where is this judgment? And by Jesus' reply, I think he's just simply saying that This gruesome image that he gives about, well, where the dead body is, that's where the carrion and the vultures are going to be to pick over the dead bodies, is simply saying the judgment will be where death reigns. Because, unfortunately, part of what's going to happen when I come back and the world is judged is death will reign. Jesus' point is about the judgment, horrific finality one other thing and we'll wrap it up tonight you don't have to stay there in Luke I want to take you over to 2nd Peter chapter 2 to end with tonight 2nd Peter chapter 2 I want to begin in verse 4 and read down through verse 10. Peter writes, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but threw them into hell and locked them up in chains and utter darkness to be kept until the judgment, and if he did not spare the ancient world, but did protect Noah, a herald of righteousness, along with seven others, when God brought a flood on an ungodly world, And if he turned to ashes the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah when he condemned them to destruction, having appointed them to serve as an example to future generations of the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, in anguish over the debauched lifestyle of lawless men, for while he lived among them day after day, that righteous man was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard." If so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from their trials and to reserve the unrighteous for punishment at the day of judgment, especially those who indulge their fleshly desires and who despise authority. I want to direct your attention again to 2 Peter 2.9 and especially to encourage you as God followers and to refresh your soul. And that is this phrase. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly. Yes, He knows how to reserve the ungodly for the judgment that is to come. But He knows how to rescue. God is a Savior God. He is a God of deliverance. He is a God who rescues. And throughout the Bible, way before judgment came, He always gave men and women opportunities to be saved, to be delivered, to be rescued. He would provide the means to do so. But all he asked for in return was will you believe in my way of salvation? Will you come my way? Noah and his family were glad they entered into the ark and came God's way. Lot and the few that went out of Sodom with him are very glad that they listened to the angels that day, the messengers of God, and they went God's way and they were rescued. And throughout history, God has rescued those who will trust in Him and believe in His way of salvation. We thank God tonight that I hope for every one of us here tonight, we have believed and trusted in the way, the truth, and the life of our salvation, Jesus Christ. We have entered into our ark and we are safe And we know that God will deliver us and rescue us and save us, not just from our sin, but from the judgment to come. We praise You, God, for being our Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your salvation. And yet, God, in all of this, we are reminded that, that salvation also means judgment for some. God, help us to live not dreading or fearing our own judgment, but living every day realizing the masses of humanity that are headed for that judgment. And remind us of that, Lord, so that we will be more inspired, more motivated, more committed and devoted to You. To live for eternity. Not to live as if it's business as usual. As if we're going to just live forever on this earth and nothing's ever going to change. Because we know that's not true. And help us also, God, to have a renewed motivation to witness and testify about the only way of salvation, Jesus Christ, to those who are lost and those who are headed for this judgment. God, the only way that man can escape this judgment is through Jesus Christ. And if we know that, God, help us to be willing and to seize the opportunities we have to share that with those who who are headed for this judgment, God. Use this church to be a lighthouse, Lord, in this community, not just of your truth to us as Christians, but of the truth of the coming judgment that is getting ready to come upon this earth. God, help us to live in your hope. Help us to let your light shine. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, a couple things. We do have some uh, books here, both devotionals and Psalms and Proverbs books for any of you that like to purchase those tonight. And don't forget, this is it until January the 6th. So if you come next Wednesday, that would be great, but I'm not going to be here. So I hope you have a great couple of weeks off around the holidays, and I hope to see you all back here on January the 6th. Have a great week. We'll see you on Sunday.